Ah, thank you very much for having me here today. Um, so I'm here to explain the basics. Um, Cecilia, one of the organizers of the conference, gave me my topic. I know some of the other speakers were nervous because they had to figure out what to talk about. But when I spoke to Cecilia, she said, um, in Scandinavia, we access journalism through a paywall, through a subscription. That's just how it's done. And so I want to know, why are you doing something different? And then two, how exactly does it work? <laughs> so I'm here to explain the fundamentals. I'm curious, how many of you attended the Hacked Democracy session earlier today? Okay. I have a, a request from you. Having attended it and really loved it, um, I'm curious, after having seen this presentation on the Guardian's model, where you might put us on the spectrum between bridging and new era. So a request from me. So there's something I need to point out to you. Um, the title of the talk is A Different Approach, not the different approach as might be fitting at a place like the conference where we drink from the cups or eat the meals. Um, no, I didn't title it The Other Way because I think that we have found a way that works for us at The Guardian, a way that fits our circumstance, our editorial values, and the times. I'm not here to convince you to drop everything and follow our lead. I do think that journalism isn't a monolithic enterprise. We have small, medium, large institutions. We have institutions that cover one topic in depth, institutions that have incredible breadth, investigative journalism, independent journalism, commercial journalism. And I think that in a field that is as diverse as this, that serves so many different audiences and communities, surely there must be a plurality of approaches. Surely there must be many different ways. So what I'm going to show with you is show you as our way, not the way. Uh, so I'll start with some basic details about The Guardian. Um, some of them may be familiar to you. Um, the Guardian is one of the biggest English language newspaper sites in the world and a global news organization with operations in the US, Australia, its headquarters in London, reporters both around Great Britain as well as the continent. Um, we're known, I think, by many of our readers for our investigations like Cambridge Analytica or participating in collaborative investigative projects like Panama Papers, which were just described. Um, our history, I think, is worth mentioning. We began in 1821, so almost 200 years ago, as the Manchester Guardian after the Peterloo Massacre. And it's fair to say that we were political and progressive right from the start. There are several principles that ground our reporting and that serve as a key, almost like on a map, for journalists. And I'm going to share these principles with you because I think they speak to our ethos and our values, but they also explain to you why it was so important to us to try and keep our journalism open and accessible to everyone. These principles were authored by our editor-in-chief, Catherine Viner. Apologies for that. Um, I have a... I have a slight request, actually. Apologies. The font was increased on the deck, so I can't read all of my slides. Apologies. The font was increased in the deck, so I can't read. I'm just looking for a way to... So, while someone comes up here... <laughs> Apologies. So we have several principles that underline our reporting. I'm sure we'll get through this interruption. <laughs> if you can just show me 
how on here I can scroll down because the font. Sure. Okay. All right, so there's several principles that underscore our reporting and that serve as a key to our journalists. And they're really important because when you take them together, they explain why it was so important we wanted to keep our journalism open. So one is that we will develop ideas that help improve the world, not just critique it. Two, we will collaborate with readers and others to have greater impact. Three, we will diversify and do our best to have a representative newsroom. Four, we'll aim to be meaningful in our work and five, that will report fairly on people as well as power. We wanted a model that would work in support of our mission, that shared these values and that made sense for our audience and our circumstances. We didn't want to just graft a business model onto The Guardian, much like you might graft a plant. We wanted a model that naturally felt like an extension of us. So we began from the position that we wanted to keep the journalism open and available to all, Within our newsroom, we've long valued engagement with our readers, looking to these relationships as a source of new stories, but also as a way of keeping us transparent, I would say honest and humble. And so we asked ourselves, is there any way that we can do this while keeping it open? We did look into the paywall model, and the early projections were not promising enough to make us think that was the way or the only way. It's important to... Uh, let you know about our ownership structure, which is a bit unusual. Um, we sometimes talk about our ownership structure because it has protected our editorial independence. Um, we don't, at The Guardian, have to satisfy shareholders. We are owned by the Scott Trust, which oversees The Guardian's newsroom, GMG Ventures, and our endowment fund, which is sizable, um, more than a billion pounds. Um, so like any story, it's all about the specific details. Four factors set us off on the hopeful quest we're still on today. The editorial values, a desire to stay open, a market assessment, and our ownership structure. The model that we've landed on is a relatively simple one. Um, so our supporter model enables readers to voluntarily contribute to The Guardian so that our journalism remains open and accessible to everyone, regardless of where they live or what they can afford. Um, I've outlined our model's sort of key operating principles here, juxtaposing it alongside what I think are principles of a, a paywall. So a paywall requires you to pay. Our supporter model is enabled through voluntary support. A paywall restricts access to those who pay. Our supporter model keeps the journalism open and accessible to everyone. A paywall sets the price. Our supporter model lets individuals do that, letting them pay no matter how big or small. And a paywall is, in many respects, a one-to-one -one relationship between publisher and reader, whereas the supporter model is one-to-many, offering one person the ability to enable many others to read our journalism. I got a bit uh, enthusiastic and copied one of the principles twice, so there are four, not five. Um, Philosophically, you could argue that while paywalls benefit in a world of scarcity, our model is grounded in generosity. So it's inherently relational, it's reciprocal, a common cause. People don't give or support for nothing. This is something that we would often hear from in the beginning. <laughs> no, they support for something, something positive, enduring, and sustaining, and that's the value that they get from our journalism and knowing that the journalism is open and accessible. Um, we like to say that the model offers something beyond the transactional, a sort of non-dollar exchange, where values simply can't be converted into dollars or pounds or euros. 
and it's generosity because people don't have to contribute what they don't have to give. So what does it look like? Um, there are a number of ways you can support The Guardian, principally contributions and subscriptions. There are three here because we've evolved our model um, and continue to support one of, one of these means. So in contributions, you can give as little as one pound if you're in the UK or one euro, all the way up to becoming a patron, which enables those who want to give much larger contributions and means of doing that. We began with a membership model in the UK that we continued to support that was principally um, an events membership model, which I'll describe in more detail later on. And we have subscriptions. But it's important to know the subscriptions don't put the journalism behind a paywall. What they do is they offer readers a different way of experiencing the journalism. So for example, in the premium tier of the app, if you pay for it, you can use curatorial features like Live or Discover. So our model initially raised eyebrows, and it did make us the subject of some mockery. Um, this cartoon comes from the satirical publication Private Eye. I remember it was published shortly after we began testing. Um, and that's fair to say that we actually didn't know whether this would work. Um, we put ourselves on this quest to see if we could make it work and to figure out how we could make it work. Um, and the big question that really propelled us was, would readers really support something they were used to getting for free? I think it's fair to say that this is still in progress. It's continuing to evolve. And there's a lot that we still need to improve upon and do much better. So for example, making it much easier, for example, for supporters around the world, no matter where they live, to contact us with questions. But last autumn, um, we announced that reader revenues are now larger than advertising revenues at The Guardian. And as was described in the introduction, that more than a million people around the globe have supported us in one of these ways from more than 180 countries. Northern Europe and Sweden are a source of a lot of support for The Guardian. And we have recently set our sights on 2 million supporters in the next three years. But we got here from a lot of hard work. We committed to research, experimentation, and collaboration. This is a diagram of my team's work showing just some of the tests that we've done over the last few years. A lot of them fail, some succeed. And you know, when you look back, things often seem both neater and messier. They're neater because you can see those genuine inflection points. You can see those times when you actually did move to the right or you did move to the left. And it's messier because we tried so many things that actually didn't work. Um, I remember, somewhat embarrassingly, a love button <laughs> that we put on the site that was a little bit like an unopened uh, valentine. Um, you know, and among those things that did really work, harnessed, I think, um, the sort of power of working collaboratively within our institution. So evolving our supporter model was something that was worked on from commercial and editorial and digital. Several years ago, we decided to move the appeals outside the advertising units to the end of a story. That's a very natural place for them to be. What we heard from readers and listeners was they both, they most recognized the value of our work after having read something, after having listened to something. But you can also see that it doesn't look like a classic um, advertisement. It's conversational by design. It starts with since you're here. It also tells a story explaining why we need support. Um, this was something that was absolutely critical. We knew that we were doing something different, so we couldn't just ask people to support it. We had to explain why we were trying it in the first place. Um, but I think this has actually, for us, been a really powerful learning lesson. Newsrooms are used to telling stories. 
but often about other people and other institutions, not about ourselves. And it was once we actually began to learn to tell our own story that the supporter model had much greater potential and promise. Um, so while it might look small, it was actually a game changer for us. And once we began asking readers for support in this way, not only did far more of them begin to support us, but we were getting lots more questions and ideas, both coming from readers and, frankly, from our own colleagues who then began to notice what we were up to. So this is a simple timeline of decisions. Um, Cecilia told me to, to really break these things down so you'd have the full detail. Um, and you can see the changes, or at least some of the changes that we made. So in 2014, about five years ago, we launched an events-based membership scheme. This was primarily a UK-based scheme. And I think many of you will see the obvious, which is an events-based program doesn't scale that easily, and certainly not for an organization with a global audience. Then in 2016, we began trialing contributions, and those were motivated by the desire to get back to basics, and frankly, to stop some of the conversations about the features and the benefits and really make sense of what drives support. And unsurprisingly, it's the journalism. For three years, we evolved the proposition, really trying to understand how this works best for people, in part depending on where they live. So for Americans, single contributions are the preferred way of giving. In the UK, far more people choose monthly contributions, whereas in Europe, annual contributions is the norm. We also know things like our investigations and our environmental coverage are a real source of support um, for our readers. We introduced a patron scheme in the UK and the US in 2017. And more recently, we've been experimenting with subscriptions. Um, so we have both, like I mentioned, launched the premium tier of the app with features like Live and Discover. And we also relaunched Guardian Weekly, which is a really wonderful weekly magazine that's gained a readership that's much more, I think, global and young. Um, so our supporter model is very much emerged from our own circumstances, our ownership structure, our work and our values. But it turns out that it's been a fit for the times, too. That's certainly not something that I think we could see with the clarity we can see now. We couldn't have foreseen the tumult of the last few years of Trump, Brexit, the decline of Fairfax in Australia. And it seems clear that more than ever, more people need access to quality, independent journalism. These quotes, I think, from our readers make the point much better than I can. So among them, you'll hear, money has corrupted everything, our politics, our commerce, our communities. Honest, unfettered reporting is the last thing we have going for us. I'm willing to pay a few bucks a month for that, knowing it's multiplied by millions like me. We might just have a chance. To me, it simply feels so good and so important to contribute to journalism everyone can have access to. This one I particularly love. Catherine Viner, our editor-in-chief's article on reaching one million contributors, convinced me it's a viable model not just feel-good icing on a tough cake. <laughs> um, so designing an approach for The Guardian has been both rewarding but very challenging for us. And, you know, I leave you with this. The organizations that you work for, the news organizations that you follow and read and listen to are all very different in their own right. And so my question is really, if you start from what makes you different and special, from the readers you serve and how, where your model might take you. <laughs>